Would you turn with me in your copy of the scriptures to the book of Daniel, chapter 6. Let's take a moment to pray together. Father, whenever we come to your word, we know it's a divine encounter because you are the author and your spirit is present to teach. We pray our hearts, our minds, our affections will be opened and drawn into a relationship with you even more deeply than ever before. In Yeshua's name, amen. When last we looked at this book, we had come through chapter 5, the fall of the Babylonian Empire. Verse 30 of chapter 5 reads, That very night Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. The 11th of October, the evening, Belshazzar had been giving a big feast, a party, a celebration. He had defiled the articles from the temple of the Lord, had blasphemed him, had lifted himself in arrogance. And that very night, the Medo-Persian army had come under the walls, and the next day they had fully conquered without a battle, the Babylonian Empire. The conquering of Babylon had occurred on the 12th of October, 539 BCE. It's interesting to note that that was the 17th of Tishrei, 3,223, which was the second day of Sukkot. God had brought judgment on this nation, and Daniel had lived to see it. Daniel... In, in his 80s, continued to be vigorous in his leadership. And in verse 1 of chapter 6, we read that it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Somehow Darius the king knew of, of Daniel's accomplishments, of his ability. He had possibly begun to spend time with him. He had perhaps heard of all that Daniel had done, of his uh, gifting of the Lord, had seen the spirit, excellent spirit that was in him, and had placed him in a position of leadership. Then in verse 3 it says, Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. There were three governors or three administrators over these 120 princes or satraps. This was the most vast empire that had existed up to this time in world history. And so... Darius knew it was important to have administrative leadership for things to be orderly and organized so that the government would continue smoothly. Then in verse 4, we read an issue coming up. So the governors, that is the two other governors, and various satraps, probably not the whole 120, sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. 
but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. These men, then these men said, we shall find, not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Wickedness in high places. It's found far too often. People who have given, been given responsibility who are not people of integrity or people of character. And such was the case here. That at least these two governors and perhaps a conspiracy of some others were for whatever reason opposed to Daniel. Perhaps it was envy, jealousy that they had heard that he was going to be exalted to a, a position above them. Perhaps it was even prejudice, anti-Semitism, because they knew of Daniel's heritage. Whatever was motivating their hearts, it was evil. It was wicked. Wickedness in high places. And so these, these men, because they couldn't find any flaw in Daniel's character, it's, it's not that Daniel was perfect but that Daniel was a man of integrity. He was reliable. This had been the practice of his life. As, as we recall in, in, in the first chapter of this book, that when Daniel and his three friends were exiled from their home of Israel, from Judah, the southern kingdom, when they were carried off to Babylon, the first thing they did going through the University of Babylon was to say, we don't want to eat the king's food because that would defile us. We want to present an option. We want to have different food that we would honor our God. And God worked that out. And so from the very beginning, Daniel has been a man of integrity. He's being faithful, somebody you could count on. And these men were coming against him, not because of an error in him, but because of an evil intent. And so these governors and these satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom and the administrators and satraps, the counselors and the advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for thirty days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Was this true? No. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors, have consulted together to establish a royal statute. That was a lie. Daniel was not a part of this. And I'm sure there were others of the, the satraps that were not a part of this. They were telling a lie. It was a deception. And they were saying this was from everybody. And of course, it was appealing to the king's desire to, to incorporate Babylon into the kingdom, to make everyone loyal to the government. And therefore, it seems like Darius 
wasn't thinking, didn't, didn't think there was anything to question here, and therefore he signed the decree in verse 9. So an evil plot is hatched, and by deception and by lies, it is actually made a law. Does this sound familiar? Verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. I think that's one of the most powerful sentences, verses in all of Scripture. Daniel knew. Daniel knew what had happened. He knew the law of the land. You see, back in chapter 1, he had been asked to devile himself by the food that he ate. And in respect to the government, in respect to those in authority over him, he said, I don't want to do this. And the leadership said, well, if, if you come away looking worse, I'll be in trouble. So Daniel said, how about you try this for a test of 10 days? And that's exactly what happened. And then the, the law, the rule was changed. On this occasion, Daniel knew that there was no chance to change this law. And so, knowing that, he had decided that he would obey God rather than man. There will probably come a time, if it has not come already, in our lives, in our lifetime, when we will be faced with a similar decision. It's a decision that none of us can make lightly. It's a decision that may be extremely difficult. In the university ministry I've been a part of in these years, as I've walked with young men and women who have come to trust Yeshua, there have often come moments where they have faced a similar decision, especially with those who have come to the Lord from other cultures where the false ways of worship are now challenged by their commitment to Yeshua as Lord and King. Daniel knew. This chapter parallels what happened in chapter 3. Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were commanded to fall down and worship before a statue There were wicked people, anti-Semitic people who had brought this charge against them. And they stood before the king of that day. And they had said, O king, we will not bow down and worship your statue. We will serve God only. And we believe he will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we aren't going to do it. In that case, they were being asked to commit a sin. In this case... The challenge for Daniel was to omit doing something that was right. In the book of James, at the very end of his fourth chapter, James writes this, Therefore, 
To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. There are, as has often been said, sins of commission and sins of omission. In this case, it was the challenge to omit something that was right to do. Daniel knew what the cost was. And yet, he went home, he went to his upper room, he went where the windows were opened towards Jerusalem. In the book of Kings, the first book of Kings, chapter 8, as we continue on and what our brother Steve read for us today about Solomon building the temple. In chapter 8 is the record of the dedication of the temple. The first book of Kings, chapter 8. And let's begin the reading there in verse 22. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. You have kept what you promised your servant David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David, my father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel, only if your sons take heed to their way, that they walk before me as you have walked before me. And now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. But will God dwell Indeed, dwell on the earth. Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built. Yet regard the prayer of your servant and a supplication, O Lord my God. And listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today. That your eyes may be opened toward this temple night and day toward the place of which you said, My name shall be there, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place. And may you hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear in heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Daniel perhaps had this in in mind, praying to the east, praying towards Jerusalem, praying towards the place where the temple was. It had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. But he had prayed as Solomon had prayed. And Solomon recognized, as every true believer recognizes, that the building is not the most important thing. The building is a picture of the God who indwells it. The building is a picture of relationship. And how to have that relationship. And in fact, no building could ever contain God. And in fact, when you turn towards Jerusalem, towards the east to pray, you are really calling on the God who dwells in heaven. Heaven is his dwelling place. 
But he chooses to put his name there. Daniel was remembering this. His windows were open toward Jerusalem. He was praying according to this promise. He was encountering the living God. He knew the decree. And he went to his upper room. And he opened, his windows were open towards Jerusalem. He didn't hide himself. He did just what he had done. He didn't hide away. His windows remained open. And then he knelt down. Posture is not always the most important part of prayer. But sometimes it is. On this occasion, and perhaps this was his practice, even at 80 years old, 82, 83, 85, I'm not sure how old he was. He was in his 80s for sure. Even at this age, he was able to kneel down. Some of us are not yet able to do that. God knows we can do it in our hearts. But there are various postures that come along with prayer. The the essential thing is that the posture reflects our hearts. Some of us raise our hands to God. Some of us bow our heads. Some of us lift our heads. Sometimes we pray out loud. I love to pray while I walk. That's a wonderful thing. Some like to sit in the chair with their legs crossed. Some pray laying in bed at night or when they rise in the morning. Some flat on the floor before the Lord. A variety of postures. The essential thing is that the posture reflects our heart. This is an appropriate posture at this moment. Daniel kneeling down in reverence before the God of the universe. And it says that this is something that he did three times that day. In my early years of walking with the Lord... Some of the people and the teachings that I had were how important it is for us to have a daily quiet time. Some call it a daily tryst. One author has written a little book called Manna in the Morning. A time when you and I fellowship with the Lord, when we talk to him, when we encounter him through his his word, when we give our lives to him. Sometimes it's the morning, sometimes It's other times of the day. But then there came to my realization that God doesn't just want a little isolated time in the day. That God wants us all the day. And sometimes pausing three times a day, perhaps breakfast, lunch, and dinner, is a good way to to remind ourselves or to encounter God in the relationship. Because God wants us in a relationship 24-7. He wants us to be in communion with him all the time, knowing that he is with us and that we can call on him at all times. Perhaps Daniel had meditated on Psalm 55. Psalm 55, one of David's psalms, records some of David's experience. Psalm 55, beginning verse 16, David writes or sings, As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. 
He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. For there were many against me. God will hear and afflict them, even he who abides from the from of old, Selah, because they do not change, therefore they do not fear God. He has put forth his hands against those who were at peace with him. He has broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, shall bring them down to the pit of destruction. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Perhaps this, this psalm, this part of the psalm came to Daniel. And certainly Daniel had patterned his relationship with God around evening, morning, and at noon, spending time conversing with God. The psalm writer in Psalm 119 talks about praying to God seven times a day. He also talks about rising at midnight to praise the Lord. The essence of this is is that prayer is a relationship. And in this relationship, we are free and in fact invited to converse with God all the time. And that these moments when we have specific times help us in the times when we're just walking through life. They help us be connected with God. It's both a specific time as well as a continuous praying without ceasing. Then Daniel, we read three times a day, verse 10 again in Daniel chapter 6, that he knelt down on his knees three times a day, that day in particular, but every day, and prayed and gave thanks before his God. The word prayed is a word that that is related to when Jacob prayed and wrestled with God and he came away with a limp because God had touched him. And that's the word prayed here. And it pictures a reliance on God, a, a, a being bowed down before God. It's a picture, I think, of worship and appropriate dependence. I've heard so many young men and women say that they don't want to consider a relationship with God because they don't want to rely on anybody. And somehow they've gotten the idea that dependence is bad. And of course, there are certain dependencies that are bad. We know about those aberrant dependencies. But a relationship with God is what we were made for. So dependence on God is the best thing that we could ever do. It's the best way to live. I've, I've often thought how to, how to explain this to, to people. To say, you know, dependence on God is like you and I having dependence on air. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing to be dependent on air. It's a good thing to breathe. At the retreat I was at last weekend with my university students, 
we had meals. And I made a comment one meal. I said, you know, I've made an observation. Every human being needs to eat. And they thought, whoa, that's profound. No, they they didn't say that. But you and I are dependent on food. And that's a glorious and good thing. We know that God says we will not live by bread alone. But we were made for food and for air. And even deeper, more deeply than that, we were made for a relationship with God. So for us to be dependent on Him is not a bad thing. For us to ask for prayer and to pray for one another, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And it doesn't show weakness. It shows strength for us to pray for one another and to pray to God daily and multiple times in the day and throughout the day. That that Daniel was a man who prayed. And then it says that that prayer was also giving thanks. That word giving thanks, yada, related to the Hebrew word yada, it's a picture of not only giving thanks, but also of giving praise. In Second Chronicles chapter 7, again, it's the similar account of Solomon just in the book of Chronicles. The second book of Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 3, we read this. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord. That word praised is the same word used in Daniel 6 that is translated give thanks. Here it's translated praised the Lord. Yada. For he is good and his mercy endures forever. So the word includes praise and the content of praise is the character of God. It is also in in various Psalms. In Psalm 108. Psalm 108. Beginning at verse 1, it says, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise even with my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples, and I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your mercy is great above the heavens, and your truth reaches to the clouds. Verse 3, I will praise you is the same word as in Daniel 6, give thanks. The same Hebrew root word. And then multiple times in the Psalms, it is also translated as it is here in Daniel to give thanks. In Psalm 92, a Sabbath psalm. Psalm 92, verse 1, it says it is good to give thanks, yada, to the Lord, and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. The content of our praise the content of our prayer, the content of our thanks, the character of God, 
His loving kindness in the morning. Remember how much God loves you. It's a covenant love. It's a love that is based and rooted in God's character. It's a grace love. Not something you and I could deserve or earn. In the morning, we think that God loves us with an everlasting love. And then at night, we reflect on the fact that God has taken care of us through the day. And we celebrate His faithfulness. Loving kindness in the morning. Faithfulness at night. Giving thanks to the Lord. Then, Psalm 100 Some have called this the happiest psalm of all. Psalm 100. Because it starts out, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us. And we, not we ourselves, we are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Yada to him, be thankful to him and bless his name for the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. A happy psalm. The presence of the Lord gives us joy and gladness and we are thankful to him, focused on his name. And one again, another good character quality to remember of God is that the Lord is good. You and I will pray seldom if we do not think God is good. If we do not think God is faithful, if we do not think God is full of grace, that is God's mercy is everlasting, you and I will pray little if we pray at all. And then, continuing on, Psalm 105, there's just a right in succession Three psalms in a row begin with this giving of thanks. Verse 1 of Psalm 105, Oh, give thanks, yada. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him. Sing psalms to Him. Talk of all His wondrous works. Think about the, the things that God has done, not only in, in our lives, but in history. And that stirs much thanksgiving. In our hearts. Psalm 106 begins, verse 1 Praise the Lord, O Yadda to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And then Psalm 107 again, O give thanks, Yadda, to the Lord, the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. I think Daniel was well aware of these scriptures. And then another meaning of this word give thanks, yada is also confession. That we confess that God is all that He says He is and that we also confess our transgressions before the Lord. David said this, I, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, yada, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin in Psalm 32. He who covers a sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses yada and forsakes them will have mercy. Daniel came before the Lord, window open, knelt down three times that day, prayed, worshiped, bowed down, gave thanks, praise, confession, as was 
his custom. This was the lifestyle of Daniel. I had a pastor friend some years ago make this statement. We practice daily what we really believe. All the rest is just religious talk. With Daniel, he practiced daily what was really in his heart. This prayer wasn't just an appendage to Daniel's life. It was his very life breath. Prayer, actually, it's not an activity. Prayer is a relationship. The expression of a relationship. Conversation with the living God. We must be very careful in our thinking about prayer. Because... The reality is prayer doesn't change things. The God to whom we pray changes things. And therefore, prayer changes things. Daniel, I think, had come to the conviction from that time years ago when the King Nebuchadnezzar had had a dream and didn't tell anybody the dream and said, you must reveal the dream and then the interpretation or else I'll execute you. And Daniel and his three friends that night went to the Lord in prayer, asking for mercy, seeking God's wisdom. And sometime in the night, God answered. And as a result, God spared Daniel's life. And I I think that the reason, one of the reasons Daniel prayed in the light of this decree was because he had come to see that the relationship with God expressed in prayer that conversing with God on a daily basis throughout the day was so vital that he would rather pray than go on living. Because the relationship to him was his very life breath. Prayer is not a boring activity. Prayer is not just simply a duty. Prayer is not just saying Various words over and over in repetition. Prayer is an encounter and a relationship with the living God. God made us for this relationship. Yeshua died that you and I could have this relationship and rose again. Yeshua's life when he was on earth was soaked by prayer. Getting away with those moments with the Father to hear his voice. To get wisdom and guidance. Yeshua fully man. While being fully God. As fully human. He was totally reliant upon the father. Demonstrated through his life of prayer. So Daniel prays. And these men. These wicked men come. They've been waiting for this to happen. I think Daniel was such a man of integrity was so clear about his relationship with God, so free and open about it, that these people, these men, knew that they could find him praying. And so they did. They came and they found him praying. They assembled, verse 11, then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God, making requests, seeking wisdom and guidance, seeking God's intervention and help. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. And they pressed it in. They said, King, didn't you sign this position? Didn't you sign this decree? Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. 
And then the trap was set. And they answered and said to the king, That Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, that scoundrel, do you realize, king, that he does not show due regard for you? He is in rebellion against you, O king, for the decree that you have signed, he has ignored it. And he is making his petitions three times a day to somebody else besides you. And then the king realized that he had made a terrible mistake. When he heard these words, he was greatly distressed with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored to the going down of the sun to deliver him. The law of execution was that it had to happen on the day when the law was violated. And the king realized he'd made a terrible mistake and he sought to free Daniel, but he couldn't find a way. And it says to me, one of the things this says to me, that as important as it is for you and I to vote, and as important as it is in a democratic society for us to express and get officials elected who are people, men and women of integrity, even a person of integrity can sometimes get crunched in the law in a wicked society, in a wicked culture, in a fallen world. And so what that says to me is that although we pray for our government leaders and we want men and women who will make righteous and good laws, that sometimes even the best intentioned people can lead a culture in a way that is not good. And so it's a reminder to us that some place their hope in chariots and some in horses and some in world rulers, but we place our hope and trust in the true and living God. Because that is the message of Daniel throughout, that God is sovereign over all, that he raises up one and puts down another, that God is in control. Then these men, they approach the king again. It's time, the evening has come. They said to the king, No, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute with the, which the king establishes may be changed. And so the king had to follow through on this terrible law that he had written into existence. And they brought Daniel and they cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. And there's a hint there that perhaps Darius really does believe that he has seen this God alive in Daniel. And then the stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the signets of his lords that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. And then in verse 18, the king went to his palace and he spent the night fasting and no musicians were brought before him and sleep went from his eyes And very early in the morning, the king rose up and he went in haste to the lion's den. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. 
And the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that they bring Daniel out of the lion's den. I would have liked to have been there with Daniel that night. I like lions. Tigers are my favorite, but I like lions. And I wonder if Daniel was able to go scritch their manes, scritch their ears. I think it was probably the angel of the Lord, not just any angel, but Yeshua himself there with Daniel, closing the lions' mouths. And so not only did the king fast that night, but also the lions fasted. And Daniel was taken up out of the den. No injury, whatever, was found on him. And look at this. Because he believed in his God. You see, the relationship of prayer, the prayer revealed the relationship, and the prayer and the relationship is rooted in faith and stimulates faith. It's a, it's a circular kind of thing. The more we go in the relationship with God, the more deeply we will believe him. And the more deeply we believe him, the more we will converse with him and go into that relationship. God has proven himself true to us. God shows us his goodness, his loving kindness, his mercy, his grace, his joy, his peace. And Daniel had trusted in God. And God in this moment, had delivered him. Daniel, not mentioned by name, but mentioned by this experience, is in that great hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 that says that by faith stopped the mouths of lions. And the king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel, those wicked men, and it was also the custom to take the whole family in this Medo-Persian empire, and they cast them into the den of lions, and just to help us know that the lions weren't fat and toothless, then their children, their wives, and the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Horrible, gruesome. And yet it's also a picture of God's deliverance. The reality of his deliverance and rescue. And then, this sounds just like what Nebuchadnezzar said at the end of chapter 4, then King Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God And steadfast forever, his kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to to the end. He delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. That sounds like a testimony, doesn't it? It sounds like a man who has come to believe in the living God, just like Nebuchadnezzar. And so this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Daniel outlived the Babylonian Empire. Daniel, as far as we know, never was able to go back to Jerusalem. The temple was destroyed, but God's relationship with Daniel was vital and clear. And God chose to give Daniel long life to outlive empires and to be testimony to kings. What a glorious God we serve. 
May we come to the same place as Daniel that we would say, because your loving kindness is better than life itself, my lips shall praise you. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, this day as we have seen your servant Daniel walk with you in dark moments, as we have seen his relationship with you, oh, Father, in our hearts, that stirs a desire that you would help us have that kind of relationship, that we would be so close, so intimate to you, that to live would be you and to die would be gain. Oh, Father, that your loving kindness would be better than life itself. That to know you and walk with you and converse with you would be better than life itself. Oh, Father, thank you that you are good, that you are faithful, that you are full of loving kindness and tender mercy. Draw us ever more deeply into this relationship and manifest your glory through us that those around us would come into the same relationship. And may the circumstances not be the issue for us, but may it be all about you and what you want and your glory. In Yeshua's name, amen.